It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Something to note, all of the groups covered on this show operate in secret. The details included in this episode are based on extensive research, but ultimately can never be 100% verified, except by society members themselves. For every kernel of truth, there's a swath of misinformation, strategically crafted by each group to protect their true goals and practices. In October 1994, Quebecois police investigated a fire in a ski chalet north of Montreal, a case of arson that left behind five dead bodies. The question was, was it a murder or a suicide? Shortly thereafter, Swiss officials explored a similar ski lodge fire in Cherry, Switzerland. There they found the bodies of 23 people, drugged, suffocated or shot, and arranged in a star formation. The deaths kept piling up all over the world, the most shocking being the ritualistic murder of a three-month-old, Emmanuel Dutois, and his parents. The killers drove a wooden stake through the infant's heart. Then, on November 18, 1994, Quebecois police constable Michel Brunet appeared before the press to try to explain the seemingly senseless murders. All of the dead were associated with the Order of the Solar Temple, a cult founded by Luc Jaurès and Joseph de Mambro that claimed to have secret knowledge of ancient mystic practices. But the Solar Temple wasn't their only allegiance. De Mambro had been a member of a Rosicrucian sect for more than a decade. He'd borrowed heavily from Rosicrucian philosophy when laying down the tenets for the Order of the Solar Temple. And de Mambro is far from the only person to connect the Rosicrucians to death and destruction. The group has been accused of global conspiracies, brainwashing, and even ties to the Nazis. So, are Rosicrucians benevolent spiritualists seeking divine truths? Cunning con artists? Or are they the most powerful puppet masters on Earth? Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Greg Polson. And this is Secret Societies, a ParCast original. Every Thursday, we examine history's most exclusive organizations from around the world and try to shine a light on the truth behind these mysterious groups. From the Illuminati to the Order of the Nine Angles, we'll explore how much impact each secret society actually had on the world around them. This is our second episode on the Rosicrucians, a mystical secret society that claims to have hidden knowledge of magic and alchemy. Participants say that any new initiate can learn to wield their power for themselves, but almost all of their evidence remains unsubstantiated. Thus, it's hard to say for sure what Rosicrucianism is, or what they're trying to achieve. Last week, we recounted two histories of the Rosicrucians. First, the origin story that they hold true. They were birthed in ancient Egypt and brought to Europe by a 14th century monk named Christian Rosenkreutz. 
second the narrative accepted by most historians that Rosicrucianism began as a hoax after a trio of letters were published between 1610 and 1616. But even if it started as a hoax, that didn't stop the group from becoming a bona fide secret society by the 1700s. This week, we'll explore the activities of the Rosicrucians after they became popular in the 19th century. We'll debate whether they protected the secret descendants of Jesus Christ, what role they played in the rise of Nazi Germany, and whether the Rosicrucians became a brainwashing cult. Members have claimed that their beliefs are uplifting and divine, while detractors allege that the group manipulates its initiates, has shaped global policy for selfish purposes, and has protected deadly ancient secrets. Perhaps the rosy cross hides deadly thorn. The era of enlightenment was also an era of secret societies. During the 1700s, famous groups like the Hellfire Club and the Sons of Liberty were founded, and older orders like the Freemasons reached new heights of prominence. The Rosicrucians hit Europe about a century too early. After the order went public in the early 1600s, countless chapters sprang up and petered out quickly. In the 1800s, spiritual seekers like Dr. Pascal Beverly Randolph and occultist Eliphas Levy published books on the order that revitalized interest. Suddenly, Rosicrucianism was mainstream again. They grew from a few dozen members in 1623 to countless chapters throughout Europe and America in the early 1800s. And those chapters were influential, don't get us wrong. But perhaps the Rosicrucians' greatest power came from their ability to birth other powerful societies. Last week, we explained how the Order of the Rosy Cross might have inspired traditions of the Freemasons. Other offshoots included the Deadly Order of the Solar Temple, which we discussed in the teaser. The cult led to the deaths of almost 80 people in the mid-1990s. Those groups never claimed to be real Rosicrucians, but the connections are clear. And since the real philosophy of Rosicrucianism has never been publicly declared, almost any group with any belief set could be argued to be part of the movement or not. We can guess a little about the Order of the Rosy Cross, thanks to that trio of disputed pamphlets published between 1610 and 1616. They claim that Rosicrucians had values that were vague and seemingly contradictory, a belief in both magic and science reverence of logic as a mean to connect to the divine, and a belief in knowledge and reason paired with hidden secrets that few were permitted to access. Depending on which aspect you emphasized, Rosicrucians were either an early progressive democratic movement or classist authoritarians. Some alleged members of the order, like Thomas Paine and Benjamin Franklin, were instrumental in democratic political revolutions. But other historians have suggested that the Rosicrucians want to institute the world's oldest hereditary monarchy, one that can trace its lineage back to Jesus Christ himself. In 1982, authors Michael Bigent, Richard Lee, and Henry Lincoln drew a parallel between historic Rosicrucians and another secret society, the Priory of Sion. 
the scholars were convinced that the priory had been founded as an offshoot from the Rosicrucians in 1099. They offered a lot of circumstantial evidence that the Rosicrucians and the Priory of Sion were one and the same, but no hard proof. But the circumstances hard to ignore. For example, one of the early names of the Priory was L'Ordre de la Rose Croix Veritas, which translates to True Order of the Rose Cross. And the early Rosicrucians and the Priory of Sion shared a lot of high-ranking members. Each Grand Master used the title John, and each group was presided over by a series of John I, John II, John III, and so on. But there was one key difference between the Rosicrucians and the Priory. While the Fraternity of the Rosy Cross has always had hazy goals, the Priory of Sion was, according to tradition, formed to protect the Holy Grail. Most people know the Holy Grail as the cup that Jesus used during the Last Supper. Folklore suggests that Joseph of Arimathea collected Jesus' blood in the cup during his crucifixion. Since then, the Grail has held divine liquid, which is believed to have the same healing and restorative powers that Jesus Christ had. But according to Bygent, Lee, and Lincoln, that narrative is a metaphor, one that distorts true history. They believe the Holy Grail contains Jesus' blood, but not in a goblet at all. They believe the Holy Grail is a human, a direct descendant of Christ. In their piece, Holy Blood, Holy Grail, Bygent, Lee, and Lincoln claim that Jesus Christ wedded Mary Magdalene, and together they conceived a child. Their baby was raised in France, and their descendants eventually married into the royal Merovingian bloodline. The Merovingian dynasty, in turn, ruled France for more than 250 years and brought order to Europe after the fall of the Roman Empire. In the 700s, the Merovingians were overthrown, but a few survivors took refuge with a Rosicrucian chapter, supposedly the same chapter that would go on to become the Priory of Sion. And this, according to Bygent, Lee, and Lincoln, is the secret, hidden knowledge that the Rosicrucians had protected for centuries. The existence of a surviving bloodline descended from Jesus Christ, a bloodline destined to someday rise again and resume their rightful role as the rulers of France. If you think that sounds an awful lot like the plot of the Da Vinci Code, you're right. Author Dan Brown incorporated the themes from Holy Blood, Holy Grail into his hit novel. And after The Da Vinci Code spent 13 consecutive weeks as a number one bestseller between 2003 and 2004, it triggered an immense backlash. Literary critics and authors alike pointed out the flawed reasoning at the core of the Priory of Sion theory. Most of Bygent, Lee, and Lincoln's arguments are based on documents called Les Dossiers Sucrés, that were supposedly discovered in the Bibliothèque Nationale. The parchments listed former priory members and tracked Merovingian genealogy. They were allegedly uncovered in the 1960s by associates of a known conspiracy theorist named Pierre Plantard. The majority of historians immediately dismissed the documents as ahistorical. So it's unclear why Bygent, Lee, and Lincoln didn't approach these claims with a bit more skepticism. As for the Priory of Sion, they were a real organization, founded by Plantar in 1956 to add legitimacy to his hoax. 
so it's pretty unlikely the Rosicrucians were involved with any possible descendants of Jesus Christ. Not only because of the lack of evidence, but also because divine monarchies were incompatible with what we know of Rosicrucian beliefs. The Order of the Rosy Cross seemed to celebrate individual ingenuity, rationality, and reason, not hereditary authority. After all, you can't argue in favor of individual reason while denying individual rights. In fact, many Rosicrucians were early advocates for democracy. According to author Manley Hall, a Rosicrucian emissary traveled through the American colonies in the mid-1770s. His identity is unknown, but at the time, he was referred to as the Professor, and he played a key role in designing the first American flag. He even allegedly gave a stirring speech on July 4, 1776, encouraging some hesitant delegates to sign the Declaration of Independence. Thanks to the professor, the rebellion against England had begun. He wasn't the only Rosicrucian involved in the American fight for freedom. Founding fathers Thomas Paine and Benjamin Franklin were allegedly members as well. And we can safely assume that their principles regarding individual liberty were informed by the philosophies of the Rosicrucians. Which means that the Declaration of Independence and Common Sense were both penned by members of the secret society. Core American values, like that all men are created equal, or that basic rights are inalienable, potentially sprung from Rosicrucian holy texts. And today, the values that most American children learn in elementary school civics classes all come from the Order of the Rosy Cross. And the revolution installed another Rosicrucian as the head of the new nation, George Washington. That's right. Dr. William Philon claims in his book, Our Story of Atlantis, or Three Steps, that Washington belonged to the Rosicrucian Supreme Council, which was an early American chapter of the secret society. Author and mystic Manley P. Hall argued that Washington's positioning as head of the new country was no accident. He wrote, it cannot be doubted that the secret societies of Europe conspired to establish upon the American continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. In other words, Rosicrucians intentionally set the Revolutionary War in motion. They did so to shape the United States in their own image and to gain a foothold on the world stage. And their influence didn't end with the Revolutionary Era. Roughly seven decades after the Constitution was ratified, the United States of America faced their greatest crisis ever. By 1861, 11 Southern states had seceded to form a slave-owning confederacy. The Union needed a strong leader to hold the nation together, and they found one in President Abraham Lincoln, a member of the Fraternitas Rosae Crucis. Once again, a Rosicrucian guided America through a time of war and helped shape the nation's future. No presidents post-Lincoln have been confirmed Rosicrucians, but the secret society still kept its grip on U.S. culture. Prolific filmmaker Walt Disney was a member. So was Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry. So, while policies drafted by Washington and Lincoln remained enshrined in law, Rosicrucian entertainment began to shape Americans' perceptions of the world. In short, the Rosicrucians' reach is limitless. 
they have members embedded in the government, the entertainment industry, and major corporations. According to conspiracy theorists like David Icke, they may even be trying to take over the world, and they're doing it through an alliance with invaders from outer space. Next, we'll look at allegations that the Rosicrucians are part of an extraterrestrial New World Order. Now back to the story. In the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, Rosicrucianism grew at an exponential rate, and as their roster swelled, so too did their influence. Chapters sprung up throughout Europe and were believed to have shaped Masonic practice. Rosicrucians also played key roles in the American Revolution and the Civil War. According to talk radio host Robert Hieronymus, this was all part of a plot to establish a Rosicrucian-controlled superpower and take over the world. In his book, America's Secret Destiny, he argues that Rosicrucians have been intentionally shaping and reshaping American culture in their image. Their goal? To bring about a new age in the Western Hemisphere. During the New Age, people will abandon monotheistic mindsets and also let go of old bigotries, anxieties, and personal demons. Rosicrucian philosophies will teach people to love one another, give to charity, and abandon war. Eventually, people would evolve beyond the need for borders or countries at all and form a single, united human society. That sounds pretty idyllic, but some researchers have different ideas about what the Rosicrucians are really trying to achieve. Like author Willie Peterson, who believes that practitioners of New Age spiritualism want to undermine the separation of church and state. Or conspiracy theorist David Icke, who alleges that the Rosicrucians, the Knights Templar, the Masons, the Skull and Bones, and countless other secret societies belong to one massive global cabal. This super society is bent on establishing one world government, and it's run by alien lizard people. According to Ike, these so-called reptilians arrived on planet Earth millennia ago, their goal is to dominate their human subjects. Since then, they've infiltrated governments, corporations, secret societies, and every other powerful entity to keep humanity under their scaly thumbs. Ike draws on the same tropes that Lincoln, Lee, and Bygent explored in Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Except Ike doesn't believe the Rosicrucians have been protecting Jesus' descendants. They've been guarding the reptilian bloodline through the centuries. As Ike explained it, after the Merovingian dynasty was toppled, a new reptilian rose to prominence, Charlemagne, King of the Franks, and devout Rosicrucian. We should note at this point that there's no evidence to support that Charlemagne was a Rosicrucian. As we explained last week, no historian has found any evidence that the order existed prior to the 1610s, when Fama, Confessio, and Chemical Wedding were published. But that didn't stop Ike from suggesting that Rosicrucians were active throughout the majority of the second millennium. Charlemagne allegedly opened several new chapters of the Order of the Rosicrucius, even more importantly, he established the Frankish Empire, a precursor to the Holy Roman Empire. 
Ike goes on to list countless powerful figures who were all supposedly Rosicrucians, Merovingians, Reptilians, or all of the above, including the Habsburgs, Martin Luther, and seven unspecified U.S. presidents. Ike alleged that Woodrow Wilson and his Rosicrucian handler, Colonel Edward Mandel House, were handpicked to be reptilian agents within the White House, and they helped their alien allies seize control of the U.S. economy through income taxes and other financial policies. In the early 20th century, Wilson and House conspired with businessmen John D. Rockefeller, J.P. Morgan, and the Rothschild family to establish the Federal Reserve, a bank that was owned and operated by lizard people. As Ike described it, the Reptilian-Rosicrucian Alliance was instrumental in passing 1913's Federal Reserve Act and Federal Income Tax Bill. These policies reinstated the United States of America's income tax and ensured that every spring, employed Americans would funnel a percentage of their salary straight into reptilian coffers. To this day, the IRS is a powerful Rosicrucian lizard people front. So as Ike claims, Rosicrucians drafted American laws and controlled the economy, the next step was to shape ordinary people's hearts and minds through pop culture. So Rosicrucian agent Walt Disney took Hollywood by storm. Blogger Mo Bedard alleged that Disney was possibly a Freemason, a member of another secret society called the Order of Dumoulet and a Rosicrucian. After his introduction into the largest Rosicrucian chapter, the ancient mystical order of the Rosicrucius, or Amork, Disney learned to perform literal magic. He then incorporated those real charms and spells into his work. According to Bedard, Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, and The Sword in the Stone all contain references to real Rosicrucian beliefs. For example, the name Cinderella allegedly comes from combining the words Cynthia, the Greek goddess of the moon, and Ella, the female form of a Hebrew word for God. The wicked cat in her house, Lucifer, is named after a common name for the Christian devil. So, Cinderella is ultimately about a person who discovers their divine power and triumphs over evil, thanks to the help of a wise and magical fairy godmother. Likewise, the logic-defying powerful beings Alice uncovers in Wonderland and the sorcery Merlin wields in Sword in the Stone were based on real Rosicrucian rites. And Disney didn't limit his secret messaging to his movies. Allegedly, his theme parks are full of Rosicrucian symbolism. Club 33, Disney's own not-so-secret society and dining club at New Orleans Square in Anaheim's Disneyland, was allegedly named after the fact that Disney was a 33rd-degree Mason. In addition, Club 33's entrance is marked with a pair of pillars. In Masonic and Rosicrucian symbology, two pillars represent the entrance to the Temple of Solomon, or more broadly, the entrance into the world of spiritual harmony. Other twin pillar designs are incorporated into the tiled floor in Club 33's foyer. Every day, an estimated 50,000 people pay over $100 a piece to their Rosicrucian overlords for Disneyland passes. 
They then guide their family members through rides, shows, restaurants, and attractions that bear magical symbolism. As each generation becomes more tolerant of mysticism, the reptilian Rosicrucians come that much closer to achieving their goal of world domination. But Rosicrucian rule wasn't all about entertainment. Ike suggests that while Walt Disney was still kickstarting his movie career, the reptilians instigated World War II. Independent of Ike's arguments, there's a pretty clear connection between the Rosicrucians and the Nazi party. It began with a German chapter called the Order of the Rose Garland. Around 1912 or 1913, they inducted Baron Rudolf Freiherr von Zabottendorf as a master, a high rank that implied he fully understood the society's secrets. Zabottendorf was obsessed with the occult and magic, and he was equally obsessed with notions of racial purity and the alleged supremacy of the Aryan people. Ironically, he didn't see any tension in the claims that true wisdom came from ancient Egypt or Syria, countries without large Nordic populations. Instead, he embraced Rosicrucian teachings as his destiny, which had passed through other nations on their way to Germany. He believed the Aryan race was the rightful heir to the sacred teachings. In the early 20th century, he created his own secret society that combined Rosicrucian, Masonic, and other mystical teachings. This organization, Tula Gesellschaft, or Society of the Assassins, targeted individuals that Zibotendorf considered enemies of the German state. Then the society sentenced them to death. Although Zibotendorf considered his followers assassins, they often acted with government backing. High-ranking members included police president of Munich, Franz Gortner, journalist Alfred Rosenberg, and mercenary Rudolf Hess. These were all men with connections and platforms. They each had the ability to accuse their perceived enemies of crimes and make them disappear without raising an eyebrow. Rosicrucians dipped into politics in 1919 when members of the Tula Gesellschaft established the German Workers' Party. And in 1920, a new leader took control of the movement, Adolf Hitler. In all fairness, there's no reason to believe that Rosicrucian leaders intentionally orchestrated Hitler's rise to power. But the nebulous nature of Rosicrucian beliefs is part of why the Tula society were able to claim legitimacy. If any person can argue that any value is part of an ancient and mystical tradition, then any bad actor can call themselves a Rosicrucian. Then they can leverage the society's reputation for their own purposes. It's like how today anyone can write their own Twitter bios or Instagram handles. You have no way of knowing if a user online is really a graduate of a particular college, actually works for the federal government, or really received a prestigious award. Thus, a reasonably confident liar can fool hundreds or thousands of people. Likewise, the Tula Society didn't need to be real Rosicrucians to benefit from the association. But Ike argued that Hitler's rise to power was intentionally puppet-mastered by reptilian Rosicrucians, not because they actually believed in his anti-Semitic worldview, but because the Rosicrucians knew a global conflict was necessary to advance their ultimate agenda, creating the New World Order. Enter the United Nations. Ike argued that this was Rosicrucianism's supreme power grab, a way to insert themselves into the world of international diplomacy. 
Of course, he never spoke to why they'd need the UN if they'd already infiltrated the government of nearly every nation on Earth. Whatever the reason, the reptilian Rosicrucian's influence has only grown since the 1940s. Ike argues that they kickstarted a New Age movement that threatened Christian supremacy in the Western world. Then they orchestrated the assassinations of JFK, Robert Kennedy, and even John Lennon. They utilized the opium trade to exert control over otherwise rebellious populations. They operated a Washington, D.C.-based sex trafficking ring. And to prove these allegations, Ike offered nothing. At best, he listed powerful Rosicrucians like Washington, Franklin, and Bacon, and alleged that since these men had political influence, they must have been using it for nefarious means. Other claims, like that Robert Kennedy's assassin was brainwashed by Rosicrucians, or that the world has been infiltrated by an extraterrestrial race of lizard people, have no evidence whatsoever. In fact, Ike and his arguments are dismissed by almost all journalists, researchers, and historians. Media Bias Fact Check is a hub run by Dave Van Zant that tests the accuracy of internet stories. They gave him the lowest possible credibility rating. Media Bias Fact Check explained, in review, there are simply too many instances to list that David Ike is an over-the-top conspiracy theorist. Mr. Ike is either the greatest con artist in history, having amassed over $20 million on books and speeches, or he is certifiably insane. So there doesn't seem to be any evidence that the Rosicrucians belong to a global conspiracy bent on world domination. But that doesn't mean that the group is entirely benevolent. According to Pierre S. Freeman, a former Rosicrucian member, the modern secret society isn't part of a global cabal, but it poses immense danger to all its members. That's because the largest Rosicrucian chapter, Amork, is a cult that uses brainwashing to keep their recruits in line. Up next, a former Rosicrucian's dark allegations that the order mentally controls and financially extorts its members. Now back to the story. After publicly announcing its existence in the early 1600s, Rosicrucianism exploded across Europe. Today, the society has hundreds of thousands of members and an immense reach, leading some to wonder what their real goals are. Theorists like David Icke suggest Rosicrucians are part of a massive global conspiracy, although he's been unable to substantiate those claims. Meanwhile, former member Pierre S. Freeman sees their dangers as more personal. His allegations aren't about global conspiracies or new world orders. His is a straightforward yet tragic story of how one supposedly Rosicrucian organization destroyed his life. In the 1970s, Freeman joined a chapter called the Ancient Mystical Order of the Rosae Crucis, or Amorc. This branch, like many others, claims that it's a direct continuation of the mystery cults that began in ancient Egypt. It was officially founded in 1915 by H. Spencer Lewis, who said he'd previously belonged to another chapter. According to the Amorc website, which you can visit today, they're the largest Rosicrucian organization in the world, with more than 80,000 members. 
and their mystical, magical secrets are surprisingly easy to access. Any spiritual seeker can join Amork simply by paying the $15 monthly membership fee, or $150 for the whole year. And Amork claims they offer great value for your money. Testimonials from Dr. Lonnie C. Edwards say, The Rosicrucian order, Amork, has provided a bridge for me into a dimension of life that I had inwardly longed for, bringing me inner peace and contentment and giving me a higher appreciation of science and religion. Elsewhere, they promise to offer people a way to realize their own infinitely powerful and divine nature. Those promises were particularly appealing to college student Pierre Freeman in the 1970s. He'd grown up in the poor, rural town of Les Anglais, Haiti. His childhood and early adulthood were marked by constant hunger and worries about how to keep a roof over his head. In 1978, he enrolled in engineering school. He wasn't particularly passionate about engineering, but he knew that a good education and well-paying career was necessary to escape from poverty. So when he saw an Amorc advertisement, it resonated with him. The ad promised that he could have a stronger relationship with God and learn magical secrets, including how to turn lead into gold. The allusion to potential great wealth struck a chord with Freeman. He scrounged his funds together to sign up for the Rosicrucian Order, and before the end of the summer, he was initiated. Rosicrucians have never had an elaborate initiation ritual, and Amorc is no different. In fact, because Amorc is set up like a correspondence course, you could even be initiated from the comfort of your own home. In fact, it's possible for a new member to join without ever seeing another Rosicrucian face to face. Once you've paid the membership fee, you'll be given the option of attending a formal initiation in a Rosicrucian Lodge. But if you can't or don't want to go in person, you can request the appropriate materials by mail. You'll get a pamphlet that will walk you through a guided meditation. You'll solemnly reflect on your spiritual journey, mentally preparing yourself for the next steps. And this initiation isn't a one-time thing. Every time you climb to a new rank or unlock a new ability, you'll perform a slightly different initiation ceremony. They can be as elaborate or as simple as you like. And if you want, you can even skip the initiation altogether. Rosicrucianism, according to Amorc, is an endlessly adaptable philosophy, so long as you can pay the membership fees. As he was instructed, Freeman transformed his home into a Rosicrucian temple. Weekly, he'd receive a lesson or monograph in the mail. These monographs gave him instructions on how to meditate, how to channel his personal energy, and how to hone his psychic senses. Which might sound like pretty harmless spiritual exercises, but Freeman alleged that there was something darker going on. Because his monographs didn't say that he should practice these arts for spiritual purposes, they promised that, if he did them right, he could manifest any physical desire. For example, Freeman had one exercise intended to develop his intuition. Supposedly, he should always accurately know what time it was without looking at a clock. If the phone rang or he saw a letter in the mail, he was supposed to know who was calling or writing without checking the return address or caller ID. And if he guessed wrong, it signified that his intuition was suffering, probably due to some default in his spiritual journey. 
And that, in turn, meant Freeman was a failure within the faith. Perhaps there was something wrong with his soul. Maybe he'd fallen in with the devil without realizing it. The only way to save himself was to commit even more wholeheartedly to Rosicrucianism. Even after more than two decades, Freeman was wrong. A lot. About 99 out of 100 times. His odds were worse than if he was just blindly guessing who was calling him, or what time it was. But he didn't see this as evidence that magic didn't exist. It was evidence that he just needed to try harder. In an effort to push past the sting of failure, Freeman spent every waking moment meditating and practicing his exercises. He studied the same monographs over and over again, scouring them for any hint of where he'd gone wrong. And the more time he spent thinking about how to be a better Rosicrucian, the harder it became for him to be objective about the secret society's claims. He spent so much time on spiritual exercises, he flunked out of engineering school. He stopped sleeping and started feeling sick. It was clear to him that his life was getting worse. But he assumed it was a test, one he'd overcome as soon as he could hone his powers. It reached a point where Freeman says he literally couldn't even think about leaving. On more than one occasion, when he'd be driving or performing some other chore, he'd start to seriously muse that he spent too much time meditating and practicing magic, only to black out. Later, he'd wake up with only positive feelings about the secret society, and he'd have no memory of what had happened in the intervening hours. Clinical psychologist Margaret Singer has identified blackouts and insomnia as a possible side effect of obsessive-compulsive meditation. But Freeman came to the opposite conclusion, that his blackouts were punishment for his lack of faith. The message was clear. Keep following the monographs. Don't question what you've been told. Don't think about quitting. He wrote, if the universe were structured the way Amorc pretends, then all would be well. But if the monographs don't work, does the member know enough to objectively evaluate the problem and leave? In general, members just brush their many failures aside and press on with the exercises until the exercises become the supreme center of their manifestly unsuccessful lives. Freeman stayed with Amorc for 24 years, attaining the elevated rank of 11th Temple degree. But in the late 1990s, he stumbled across a website discussing cults, and the essay felt shockingly familiar. Until that moment, Freeman had never considered that Amorc might be manipulating him. They didn't have mandatory physical meetings or obvious clergy. There was no compound, no leader, no physical contact with enforcers who could browbeat him into compliance. The possibility had never occurred to him. But after reading the webpage and checking out books on cult psychology for further confirmation, he couldn't deny it any longer. The Amorc monographs had all the elements necessary to manipulate a sincere initiate into brainwashing themselves. The practitioner was encouraged to spend an hour a day, every day, studying and practicing spiritual principles. And when that practitioner failed to manifest the powers he'd been promised, their sense of guilt would drive them to throw themselves even further into Amorc. 
With this discovery, Freeman realized he needed to deprogram himself. It was slow going, but he reasoned that he had the power within him to leave Amork. After all, he'd been the one to get himself in this situation in the first place. And in 2008, the liberated Freeman shared his story with the world. In his memoir, The Prisoner of San Jose, Freeman admitted that he wasn't sure what Amor gained from brainwashing its followers. He mused that maybe the brainwashing was accidental. Perhaps one of the original founders had instituted these methods in order to control his followers. But eventually, the forefathers died, and their brainwashed disciples stepped in to take their place. They, in turn, may have continued the same harmful practices because they were the only thing the disciples knew. If true, Freeman paints a cynical view of the ancient mystical order of the Rosae Cruces. He depicts them as a predatory, manipulative organization that will destroy their followers' lives for no particular reason, other than because their brainwashing tactics are tradition. But their goals may be a lot more straightforward. Although most of Amork's various chapters are 501c3 nonprofit organizations, they still tend to bring in a lot of cash. In 2017, the San Jose headquarters reported just short of a million dollars of revenue. When you're only billing your members $150 a year or $15 a month, you have to keep them all hooked to make that kind of money. But Rosicrucians have always known how to turn their unverifiable claims into gold. Brainwashing is like a modern-day form of alchemy. The upside is that because members were responsible for their own mind control, it would be relatively easy to avoid the pitfalls. A person could pay for their monographs, practice them half-heartedly, and treat meditation sessions as a relaxation technique rather than a search for divine truth. Thus, they'd never fall prey to the brainwashing Freeman experienced. It's hard to say how many of Amork's 80,000 members are casual practitioners and how many are desperate for spiritual solutions like Freeman was. It's possible that his experience was unique. Even so, that doesn't change the fact that Amork claimed to sell spiritual secrets in exchange for money. Their pay-to-worship structure led skeptical author Brian Dunning to dub them a scam. He explained, if I were to summarize the modern Rosicrucian organization, I'd compare it to a low-pressure, less expensive version of Scientology. So perhaps Rosicrucianism was always a garden-variety shell game designed to separate marks from their money. Or maybe they were a darker brainwashing organization. Or, as some spiritual seekers still allege, the real Rosicrucians are deep in hiding, protecting their sacred practices while false orders grab headlines. That debate has colored the growth and spread of the Rosicrucian order since its inception. In 1610, German spiritual seekers mused on whether the secret society was powerful, ominous, and real, or if it was all a hoax. And if there's one thing we can say for sure about Rosicrucians, it's that they've continuously straddled the line between secret wisdom keepers and scammers. Perhaps today, a New Age believer with money to spare will find meaningful spiritual growth in Amorc's $150 meditation classes. 
Or maybe you're better off keeping your money and approaching your religious life with a grain of salt. It's a question only you can answer for yourself. And that's hidden knowledge the Gnostic Rosicrucians can't offer you. Thanks again for tuning into Secret Societies. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Secret Societies and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Secret Societies, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Secret Societies on Spotify, just open the app and type Secret Societies in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. Secret Societies was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Secret Societies was written by Angela Jorgensen, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 